Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We have been talking about the power of reminders. Amen? The need for recall. I, um, the Lord gave me vision for something that I'm going to be instituting here in a few weeks. And um, we're going to endeavor to do it as excellently as possible and as consistently as possible. But um, I want you all to know and understand the importance that what we're doing here is just the beginning. You have to know that. When you leave the room, when you walk back to your car, when you drive away from this property, that's when you get started. This is not the end. Okay, and I know it may take a lot just to get here sometimes. It may take a lot of effort and, man, you know, crazy day, crazy week, crazy things going on. Man, God, if I could just get to church. And, and yes, there's a lot that you can receive here, and there's a lot that you can get here. But I want you to be encouraged that when you walk out those doors, you're just hitting the starting line. We're just entering you know, we talk about meditation and the power of meditating on the word and chewing on the word. We've been talking about recalling and thinking on and reminding ourselves and going back over things that we once heard. Faith doesn't come by what you have heard. Faith comes by hearing, amen? Hearing and hearing and hearing again. And when you're sick and tired of it, you need to hear it some more. And when you're like, oh, that verse again, you're hearing some more. And we've been talking about this. And then the meditation is the chewing on. It actually gives us the image of a cow that will regurgitate its food and chew on it some more, swallow it and chew on it some more and swallow it. And it's the chewing on. In fact, the word meditation in the Bible actually has to do with muttering to yourself. Now it's no longer just in your heart. It's no longer just in your thinking. Now it's in your mouth. Now I literally begin to say the things that I heard, to say the things that I read, say the things that I believe, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Amen. Now your mouth gets in alignment with it. And now we can really begin to see the word of God produce results in our life. And so... Uh, meditation doesn't even begin until I'm done talking. You're not meditating here, you're listening. And yeah, faith comes by hearing. Faith starts by hearing, but faith has to be built and strengthened and encouraged. Then eventually faith has to be applied. Huh? Faith gotta be put into practice and action and implemented and activated in our lives. I mean, you don't even know if you have faith until it's pulled on. Some of us feel like faith giants and we haven't even met a test yet. Then the test goes up and it's like, ah, I wasn't as much of a giant as I thought. Still got some more work to do, some more lifting to do. Amen. And so we want to continue to build that up. And so we want to, you know, keep ourselves in place and in a posture where God's, remember we've been saying this, God's reminders are treated just as important as God's revelation. Man, we love that initial revelation, that new word, that fresh word. Oh man, we love that. 
But then when God starts prompting new, uh, starts prompting the things that you've already had stirred up and planted in your heart, when he starts drawing on that, when he starts, hey, remember this, remember this. Remember the verses that we read so far? Paul is saying, I want to keep you in remembrance. Peter said, I will always keep you in remembrance. I'm encouraged by your growth. I'm encouraged by your equipping. I'm encouraged to see how much you've grown, but I will not stop reminding you. And see, that's the thing is we think, man, I must have it all together. I've got results. I'm seeing it work. I'm strengthening as a believer. I must be, it must be okay to, and he says, no, I'm going to keep it in front of you. I'm not moved by what I'm seeing. I'm not moved by, uh, you know, even the positive results I'm seeing. I'm going to keep reminding and keeping this in front of you. And so I've, I've said, you know, the last two weeks and, and, and planted that and um, kept that in front of you because we're going to be looking at some topics that may seem like and feel like um, Areas that you may have already felt, you know, I'm, I'm doing well in that area, or I've got that down. What we would call maybe the ABCs of faith, the fundamentals, the foundations, if you will. But as we said last week, I want to shore up that foundation. I want to reinforce that foundation. Wouldn't it be sad if we think we've laid a foundation and then go to build on it and it crumbles? And guess what? The structure is only as good as the foundation. Everything you build on the foundation is at the mercy of the foundation. So we want to shore some things up this year because the challenges of life will come. Uh, Not just the challenges that we face individually, but the trials and tribulations that will be seen in the last days. And we need a last days ready church. I said we need a last days ready church. The word came forth this morning in morning prayer corporate prayer, that the Lord is preparing his body, preparing his bride. Preparation is coming. The need to be ready is here. We need a ready church. And the reminder of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins is where the Lord took me. And we had a word from even Miss Geraldine is, she prophetically spoke into some things that was right in line. You know, what's funny is we, we're all here praying and we're praying individually and we come together corporately at the end is, is, is the construct that we use. And, and you'll find that God is speaking to different people because see, prayer is not just talking to him, it's also hearing from him. And we ought to hear from him. We ought to hear from heaven in those moments. And so, you know, we'll stop and anyone get a word, anyone's got, you know, and, and uh, Jerry Lynn had a word that was right in line uh, with, you know, and I'm not, discussing what I'm getting with her. Pastor Chris had a word. It's all in line. It's all interwoven and and connected because it's one body, one spirit. And it may, you know, it's it's like you're getting one side of it and then someone else speaks and they see another side of it. And and then it all comes together and makes this one image that equips us and strengthens us and edifies us. And the Lord took me to those, those, those 10 virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. And at the end of the day, the, the element was this, preparation. The five foolish were not prepared. And they were having to run out and get oil at the last hour, the midnight hour. And by the time they made it back, the groom said, do I know you? 
that even our lack of preparation can bring separation. If we don't prepare right, they end up in an element where Jesus is saying, do I even know you? But it said of the wise virgins, it said that they took even more than they needed. They had more than enough. And we need a church in these last days that has more than enough. And I, I, I'm, I'm not here to help you barely get by, to crawl across the finish line. Guys, we're gonna finish well and finish strong. We are. We are gonna be finishers that have even some left in the tank. And there's a lot of believers that are just, Lord, come get me. I can barely make it on the strength that I have now. But we're looking for a church. He's looking for a church that is well able to overcome. No doubt in mind, no question in mind. Like, God, we could have gone another. We'd do this all over again if we've got to. We are filled up. What is that oil significant of? It's the Holy Spirit. And we need to be full of the Spirit. That's why we're talking about the reigning Spirit, being full of the Spirit in these last days. Because guys, if you haven't noticed, our natural resources and natural abilities are just not getting it done. In, in some of the world's best minds, the most intellectual and the most educated, we need some people that are just gonna rely on the Holy Spirit. God is raising up in these last days some Josephs again. I believe it. Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man, not just in Egypt, in the world. You know, we have a nation where our president is considered the most powerful man in the world. And Joseph's are being raised up. Daniel's are being raised up. David's are being raised up. Come on, Deborah's are being raised up. Esther's are being raised up. And guess what? All those people had to do things that looked absolutely stupid in the natural, that had to absolutely rely on God, a higher power the world thinks. But we're tapping into something. We're tapping into something. There's Joseph's in this room right now. There's Joshua's in this room. There's Esther's in this room. There's Deborah's in this room. There's Ruth's in this room. There's Saul's being converted to Paul's in this room. There's Peter's. And you never, you know, have you noticed consistently? I don't even know why I'm saying all this. This has nothing to do. I may take you to a whole other verses. I don't even, I don't even know where I'm going tonight. We're just gonna, just gonna follow the spirit. You ever noticed how all these individuals in the Bible from beginning to end were placed before highly influential people? Abraham entered, is, is standing before kings. Just a regular old guy from Ur of the Chaldeans. Just followed God and said, go to a place I will show you. I'm not even telling you ahead of time that you'll become a father of many nations. Moses, before Pharaoh, lived in Pharaoh's house, raised in Pharaoh's house. Joseph, through the most backroads way possible, ends up in Pharaoh's house. I mean, every detour you could find, he had to take. A pit, a prison, eventually a palace. David, from backwoods shepherding, not even invited to the anointing party, ends up ruling over. And before he ruled over, he ends up playing a harp for a king. I mean, who puts those two together? Really good with sheep? 
I bet he plays really good music. I mean, God knows how to get you before the right people and not just anybody. He wants to get you before people of influence. He wants to get you before governors. He wants to get you before royalty. He wants to get you before people that have influence and need to rely on you, not in your natural ability getting there, but by the spirit. This is what he's trying to do in the last days. And so we need a ready people, a ready people that say, God, what are you doing? God, what would you have me say? You know how intimidating it had to be for a lot of these people to to talk to royalty, to talk to the most powerful, most educated, most influential people on the planet of their time and say things like, "Uh, you know, there's gonna be seven good years and then there's gonna be seven bad years and store up in the, I mean, you know, just, Crazy stuff that's changing the world. Let my people go. I will kill you right here, right now, is what could be said. Esther risked her life to go to uh, the king and petition before him without him first offering the scepter. Daniel in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, in situations where we've got to follow, you better know you're following the Spirit. Paul standing before King Agrippa. King, King Agrippa. These are not Christian people. And he responds with, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. This is where God wants to place us in these last days. This is what God wants to do with his church in these last days. Don't let your expectation or your vision of what God can do fall short of what he can do and what he's able to do with the life submitted and yielded to the Father empowered by the spirit. Man, the Bible says your gift will make room for you and place you before great men. And I believe we're gonna see that. But it's gonna take preparation. These were people that knew him intimately. Knew God on the sides of the mountain. That knew God in the middle of the night. Knew God Uh, in in the backwoods of a wilderness. Knew God on a shepherd field. Before you ever made it to the palace, you knew him in the pasture. You knew him in obscurity. You knew him when nobody knew your name. Nobody cared about you. It's in these moments he's making us ready. It's in these moments he's preparing us for great things ahead. It's in these moments that God is is advancing us and he's putting within you the things necessary because where he wants to place you is gonna pull on that, require that. Right now, it may seem small. Right now, it may seem like, God, what am I even doing? Where am I even going? Who am I even influencing? Who am I even affecting? Right now, he's trying to deposit things in you because when when the groom 
comes and they say, get ready. He's on the way. You'll have your oil well lit, ready to shine. Not at the last minute, the last hour, trying to scrounge everything together and hope you have enough to make it. Is this, is this all right? Is this good? We are going to be a ready church and a ready people in these last days. Amen. Okay. Go to 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Making ready, preparing, preparing, preparing. Pastor Caleb said it this morning. He said, preparation time is never wasted time. Why do we have to say that? Why is that such an, uh, uh, why is that a statement? It's because it feels that way. God, really? You're reminding me of that again? You're showing me that verse again? You're talking about that again? He's reminding. He's reminding. He's recalling. He's preparing you for something. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is what he says in verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's read this again, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, the tangible, the natural. I can touch it. I can feel it. I can sense it with the five senses. I can contact it. But we look at the things which are not seen. How do you look at things (laughs) that are not seen? For the things which are seen are temporary. So, We're acknowledging that there are seen things. We're acknowledging that there are tangible things. We're acknowledging that there are things that we can contact with the five senses. That that word, uh, while we do not look at, it doesn't mean ignore. It doesn't mean ignore it. It doesn't mean disregard in the sense that, oh, that's not really there. Like it's a myth, like it's, not actually happening. It means this, to not put your gaze upon. Not put your gaze upon. While we do not put our gaze upon, it's about focus. It's about what am I staring at? I can even go this, this, this direction. What is informing me? Where am I taking my cues from? What is 
telling me this is the way it is or this is the way it's gonna be? Am I taking those cues? Am I being informed by things of the natural, by the things that are in the seen realm? Or am I being informed by, am I taking my cues by the things that are unseen? There's a seen and there's an unseen. There's the tangible, that which I can encounter by what I see, by what I hear, by what I feel, by what I smell, by the, by the natural encounters of life. It doesn't mean that they're not happening. It just means I'm not informed by it. Paul said this, I live and I move and I have my being in him, meaning I'm not moved by what I see. It may be happening, but I'm not moved by it. I'm not moved by what I hear. I may hear it, but I'm not moved by it. I'm not informed by it. I don't gaze upon it. I don't focus on it. No, in him, in the spirit, in the one that is unseen. So there's a seen realm that can be encountered by the natural. And there's an unseen realm that he says, while we look at, and we are looking at things that are not seen. Now that right there, that'll make you crazy. You tell that to somebody at work tomorrow. I look at stuff that's not seen. Have you seen a doctor for that? (laughs) Have you been prescribed anything? No, it simply means this, that there is an unseen realm. There is an unseen realm. When we talk about the spirit realm, and we're going to be talking about that on the weekends, I'll tell you, I can easily take the whole year and just talk about elements of the spirit realm. And so, man, make sure you're here on the weekends as much as you can, because we're going to be diving into topics that the church either has ignored or even talked down and made a greater emphasis of the things that are seen instead of the things that are not seen. And we're gonna make a greater emphasis this year of the things that are not seen. We are. Because there is a realm that is not seen that needs to be contacted. There is a, a realm that is beyond what you see in the natural that we need to learn how to engage. Because your enemy is fighting in that realm and he's whipping us every time. He owns the spirit realm and he owns the territory because the church won't go there. The church won't talk about it. The church is afraid people will not come back. The church is afraid it's too kooky and weird. I've said it before. Anybody ever made the statement, knock on wood? It's amazing how people will trust in something like that. I was in a situation once and the girl was going crazy trying to find wood to knock on. Like looking, she even put action to her belief system. Oh, if we could just get believers that convinced and that persuaded to put action with what they believe in something as weird. The world is not afraid of this stuff. They're looking for it. I said, they're looking for it. It would be just the tactic of the enemy for us to back off of things in the spiritual capacity, 
in the unseen capacity. When God is trying to get us into an unseen principle, God is trying to get us into an unseen realm. God is trying to get us to live beyond the natural, beyond that which can be contacted by the five senses. The church that is motivated, moved, and influenced by the natural senses will always be limited in the things of God, will all be, always be limited in their ability, will always be limited in what our true capacity is because your enemy is operating in an unseen realm and God needs us operating in an unseen realm. Amen. So there's a seen realm and there's an unseen realm. And he says, we do not look at, we do not gaze upon, we do not focus on the things that are seen, but we focus on, we gaze on uh, the things that are unseen, not seen. For the things which are seen, he says, are temporary. That word temporary means this, subject to change. Subject to change. Subject. Subject. It is subjected. The things in the natural are subject to change. The things which are not seen. So here's the thing. The things that are in the seen realm are subject to the things that are in the unseen realm. That principle alone, not understanding that principle alone, is hindering believers. Because we have access to a realm that can change the one that we think we're controlled by. We have access to a spirit realm that can alter this natural realm. We have access to an unseen realm that can change what we contact and see in the seen realm. And it would be the tactic of the enemy to get us to focus on the things that are seen and ignore the things that are unseen. But a church that can focus on the unseen can change the scene. A church that can understand the unseen realm better, its power, its ability, its true existence, can change that which is temporary, can change that which is subject to change. Everything you contact and, 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 and uh, encounter in the natural realm is subject to a spirit realm that you and I should be contacting and encountering, not in a weird way, not in a kooky way, and that's why it needs to be taught, the ways of the spirit. Because guess what? If you go exploring that on your own, you'll end up in a mess. You'll be contacting the spirit, but you'll be contacting the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, you will. So we need some teaching there. Those believers that have gotten a little exploratory have gotten off. Have gotten off contacting the wrong spirits. And man, the enemy knows how to masquerade. Remember, he was once in heaven. He knows that territory really well. He knows what you want to hear. He knows how to make it sound good, how to, you know, we just talked about this Sunday. I'm not trying to re-preach Sunday's message, but he knows how to lure and bring you in into a spiritual contact. Remember, desiring the spirit without discerning 
the Spirit. That's a dangerous combination. That's a recipe for disaster. Desiring without discerning will lead to deception. Desiring without discerning will lead to deception. They fall away. And you end up in that 2 Timothy verse 4. Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Not ignoring spirits, going after spirits, just the wrong ones. So this unseen realm, I'm not trying to preach uh, uh, the message again. This unseen realm is where our focus should be. Which also tells us this, that everything that God is doing, he's doing in an unseen place first. If you truly want to understand the plan of God, the purpose of God, you need to understand the spirit of God. You need to understand the unseen realm. You need to understand the things that are beyond what we see. You need to understand the things that are beyond our natural contact and encounters. You need to understand things that are in a place that are in an unseen place. That's what he's doing. In Matthew chapter four, I'm just trying to set something up. Matthew chapter four. While you're turning there, Matthew chapter four and verse 17. I want to make this statement. You've heard me make this statement before. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. We're going to talk about the purpose of some things. Because The thing about purpose is purpose is not decided. Purpose is discovered. You don't decide the purpose of something. We're seeing a world today trying to decide the purpose of stuff. Decide if it's a boy or a girl. What a mess. Why don't we just discover and let common sense <laughs> huh see what happens see, people will go to great lengths to decide things that if they would just resolve themselves to discover it it would require much less effort <laughs> just something as simple as that i don't need to decide if it's a boy or a girl i just discover yep it's a boy That simple. Oh, the confusion that shows up when we try to decide stuff that should be discovered. And so this issue of purpose, when I don't understand the purpose of something, you abuse it. You don't understand the purpose of a handgun, you abuse it. You don't understand the purpose of a medication, you abuse it. You don't understand the purpose of money. We abuse it. Go a little further. If you don't understand the purpose of a spouse, a husband or wife, 
there's all kinds of spousal abuse that takes place that it may not show up in the courts. It may not come visit your home, but it's not according to God's purpose. And so it ends up getting abused. You don't understand the purpose for a job. You abuse it. You don't understand the purpose for a church. You abuse it. It's impossible to arrive at the conclusion something was intended to arrive at if I don't first know the purpose for it. And when abuse shows up, you damage it, you destroy it, you make it ineffective, you make it unfruitful. I mean, the list goes on. It's not going to produce the results. And then what do we do? When something doesn't produce the desired result or the, the, or the result that we think, we think it's broken. And then abuse quickly turns into abandon. We abandon it. Because that's what we do as, as humans. We, if something doesn't work, we leave it, we just quit. We don't try to fix it. And so this purpose issue is extremely important. But here's the problem. If you're trying to find purpose in the natural rather than the supernatural, if you're trying to find purpose from the seen and not the unseen, you're going to arrive at the wrong conclusion. And so we need to understand some things, and that's why we had to go to 2 Corinthians 4 to understand there's an unseen element that if we don't try to see it from the unseen realm through it, uh, through a lens that sees and taps into the unseen, looking at the unseen, look at the things that are not seen, I'm going to come to the wrong conclusions. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus makes an interesting statement, and this is his very first statement in ministry. He's just been in Matthew chapter 3, been baptized by John the Baptist. He's now been commissioned and is entering ministry as a 30-year-old man. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. I was 26 years old before I really had the revelation of what is he even talking about? The kingdom. And I'd been in church all my life. I had heard the kingdom. I'd heard that terminology, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is, is at hand. The kingdom is near. And you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at Jesus' ministry and, and what he talked about, and somehow we ended up with this conclusion. Out of four books that illustrate and record Jesus' ministry, somehow we came to the conclusion that Jesus preached salvation by believing that he would go to a cross, that he would die on it, and he would rise again so that you could be born again, become saved, so that when you die, you go to heaven. That's the gospel that 98% of believers believe 
is the true gospel. Now, nothing I said is wrong. Nothing I just said is wrong. Jesus came to this earth as a sacrificed lamb for sinners that could not redeem or save themselves. He came as the the sacrifice that would be made once and for all, that he would do for you what you could not do for yourself. And he took on your death so you could take on his life. He traded. You were due hell. You were due torture. You were due punishment. You were due death as a result of sin. The wages of sin is death. We were due all that. But Jesus came as the atonement. Jesus came as the sacrifice. Jesus came as the one that said, I'll step in and I'll take all their sin on upon myself. I'll take on the punishment that they deserve, even though I don't deserve it. I'm the spotless lamb. I'll lay my life down. He did those things. I'm not saying we didn't do those things. But what's interesting in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels that record Jesus's life and ministry and not just what he did, but also what he taught, what he preached, what he spoke. We don't find that communication in those four gospels. We don't find, hey, I just want everybody to know I've come here as the spotless lamb. I am laying down my life for yours so that I will be killed, I will be murdered, I'll be punished for something I didn't do. We don't see him preaching that. We see it a few times in conversation with his own disciples. The only time we even hear the term born again is in one instance in John chapter three. I mean, as much as we preach it, you think that he was saying it in every chapter. He said at one time in John chapter three to one man, in the middle of the night. (laughs) You would think he was preaching born again from the mountaintop on the side of a hill with 5,000, not including women and children, people sitting on the side, 15 to 20,000 people plus sitting on the side of the mountain. Did that happen? Did he minister to that, um, that amount of people at one time? Multiple times. Would he go into a town and people would throng him till they, they couldn't get any more people in the house, till they pushed him off the shore and he's having to preach from a boat because there's no room to stand anymore? Did this happen in Jesus's ministry? And in those instances, this is the recurring theme. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. What I think has happened in the church is we preach about Jesus, but we're not preaching what Jesus preached. We've got a message about him and his sacrifice and our sin and he took his sin upon him and when I die, I mean, that's our whole, that's our opening spiel. Do you know where you would go when you die? When life is over, bro, I'm just trying to eat my cheeseburger and, you know, get off my lunch break right now. Have you thought about where you go when you die? And that's an important question. I mean, there is eternity beyond this life. But why aren't we interested in the things Jesus is interested in? Why aren't we 
honoring and valuing the things Jesus honors and values. In Matthew chapter 13, I need the whole chapter, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You say, well, that's one verse, Pastor Mark. Well, let me give you a few more. And I'm just in one chapter. We're just in one chapter out of four books. Got plenty of examples, but Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 31, verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Anybody seeing a theme? And that's just one chapter. That's just Matthew 13. We still got the rest of Matthew to go. We got Mark. We got Luke. We got John. In all four of those books, there is a recurring theme, a recurring emphasis that Jesus makes over and over and over. And it's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He is obsessed with this kingdom. And I just showed you, he's so obsessed with it, he's trying to make it real to you. Oh, the kingdom of heaven's like a dragnet. Kingdom of heaven's like a lost coin. Kingdom of heaven's like a, a treasure in a buried, treasure buried in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like, he's trying to make it real. He's trying to make it tangible. He's trying to get an unseen into the scene. He's talking about an unseen realm that, man, I need to make this real to you. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Repent. His very first words on the, on the ministry field are not repent and even turn from your sins, which obviously re repentance is necessary for the, uh, the, uh, 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 turning away from sin, but he's meaning repentance as in change your thinking. He's saying, turn your gaze from the seen to the unseen. I need you to see something that you cannot see with your natural eyes. That's why I ministered on renewing the mind last week. It's the message of the kingdom is he was obsessed with this thing. In fact, it's what he died for. I thought he died for us. He died for a kingdom. And he died that you would be placed back in that kingdom in the way that you ought to be. How do I know that? John chapter 18. John chapter 18. 
this kingdom was so important to him He was obsessed about it in ministry and he was willing to die. All he had to do was renounce and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's not a real kingdom, guys. It's not, a, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not literal. But in John chapter 18 and beginning with verse 33, look at this conversation. This is with Pontius Pilate. He's standing before the man that has the power to have him crucified or to let him go as just a crazy person, some crazy lunatic. John chapter 18, verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, this is a man of government, rule and authority, by the way. He's a governor. Governor, we've got a governor, right? He's a governor. He's ruling over a territory. It's a position of government. And Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, why are we asking that? He's not reading the Bible. And it's like, this guy thinks he's the king. No, it's because for the last three and a half years, this guy's done nothing but talk about a kingdom. He's done nothing but talk about authority. He's done nothing but talk about dominion. He's done nothing but talk about, and in, it's in his words, it's in his ministry. He's standing before a government official as a supposed traitor to the ruling authority and feared that he's going to establish a real tangible kingdom. But look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him in verse 34. Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Meaning, are you saying this because it's the word on the street? Or are you saying this because you got some kind of revelation? No, he's saying it because somebody else has said it. Rocks with his answer. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered to me, have delivered you to me. You're talking about this kingdom so much that your people have handed you over to me for punishment, for murder, or not, not for murder, but punishment by death is what they're calling for because you talk about this kingdom and you being a king so much. Not talking about salvation, born again, going to heaven when you die. The kingdom. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom, so he's not denying it. Whoa, whoa, whoa you got this all wrong. I, I can explain. It's gotten a little out of hand. I'm sorry. I'll back down. This kingdom talk. No, he says, my king. I mean, that's not what you want to tell the guy that has the power to either set you free or have you put to death to own it and say, yeah, my kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. 
if my, and furthermore, he's just making it worse, man. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. It's an unseen kingdom in an unseen place. Not of this world, meaning it's not from here, meaning it's not like what you think this kingdom is like. And it's doesn't, it's not limited to the things your kingdoms are limited to. And it doesn't operate like your kingdoms operate and function like the way your kingdoms function and your authority rules. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? This is the one that will get you in big trouble. Are you a king then? Jesus answers, you say rightly that I am a king. Here it is, for this cause I was born. I mean, it's, it's right here in the word. Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins so that when you die, you go to heaven. That's our answer. But his answer is, I am a king. And for this cause, I was born. Why isn't it that, why isn't that our answer? Why isn't that our gospel? Again, I'm not saying what we've been saying is wrong. It's just not completely correct. It's not the totality of Jesus's ministry. Jesus did not die on a cross because he went around saying, you're all bad people and I've come to deliver you and I've come to save you. And if you'll believe on me, then you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. That's not why he was murdered. That's not why he was placed before Pilate and the ruling authorities in that territory. He's placed there because he was a threat. I mean, what is the greatest threat to a king? Another king. What's the greatest threat to a head of authority and a head of a territory? Someone from another territory that is the head of the territory. A wacko that just goes around saying, you're all in sin and I'm the deliverer, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one they've been talking about. That's just a lunatic. You're no threat. Maybe maybe beat him a little bit. Yeah, that's what Pilate was gonna do was have him, you know, uh, have his back beaten open, whipped open, and then send him on his way. This ought to set him straight. Won't hear that crazy talk anymore. But no, it had to be pushed further because you're a threat to a territory because we've got an emperor. We've got Caesar. If he hears that you're trying to set up territory in our territory, now you're a threat. You say, rightly, I am a king, and for this cause I was born. For this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of 
the truth, hears my voice. What's the point? There is an unseen realm. There is an unseen purpose. And we have, ah, you know, I think we just use the term watered down too loosely sometimes. I don't want to say we've watered it down because the goal, the motivation is, man, we just want to see you come in, go to heaven with us. I've heard Christians say that. Our goal is to go to heaven and take as many people with us as possible. That's great. That's good. But let's start, instead of talking about Jesus, let's start talking about what Jesus talked about. You see the difference? Look in his ministry. Look, we've got four books, man. They could have just left us with one. (laughs) They left us four of them. And even those four couldn't record everything. In Acts chapter one, let's wind this down. Acts chapter one. For some of us, this may be reminders. For some of us, this may be new information for the first time. Again, I was 26 years old, raised in church, raised in godly home, seeing the emphasis and the thrust of the kingdom message for the first time. And I've never let it go since. Acts chapter one, the former account I made, O Theophilus, this is Luke. So the former account would be Luke. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things, what? Pertaining to the salvation of man. Pertaining to the things of man going to heaven when he dies. No, pertaining to what? The things of the, to the last day, to the last drop. I mean, this is even after he's died and rose again. If at any point he wants to begin to introduce the message of believe that I died and rose again and you'll be saved and when you die, you'll go to heaven, this is it. Hey, that stuff that just happened, let me tell you how to work this thing. And he's still talking about the kingdom. I mean, if you talk about obsession. And you're still talking about the thing that just killed you. That's even crazier. Well, you know, you know and, and, and the Bible tells us Jesus' disciples were hiding out. You know, the last thing they wanted to hear was more kingdom talk. Like, Jesus, come on, man. Come on. They're looking for us now. Like, chill on the kingdom stuff. Let's, let's hold off, man. I mean, I think it's a little raw, you know? <laughs> you just died. <laughs> they just crucified you. We watched all the horrible stuff. You just, let's, let's, let's give us some time. 
And for the last 40 days of his time on this planet, he's talking about things, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's no accident. That's not just Christian terminology. In fact, kingdom is not a Christian term. What is the kingdom? Let's write these down. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a territory under the rule of a king. Simple, right? What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a territory under the rule of a king. Number two, a territory where authority is exercised. A territory where authority is exercised. It's simply this. Kingdom is two words put together. It's a king's domain. Domain means territory. It's a king's domain. Number four, it's a government. It's a government, right? We all agree kingdom is a form of government, right? There's monarchies and there's, you know, democratic republics and the whole bit, you know. A kingdom is a form of government. It's a government system that governs and rules, then the last thing, a kingdom is a sphere of influence. It's a sphere of influence. It's where a king exercises influence. It's where a king exercises authority. It's where king exercises his rule. And so we're going to take some time to break down this kingdom, introduce you to the kingdom, to rediscover the kingdom. And now you've just seen that, you know, this is not just Christian terminology, this kingdom, is that we treat it as a subject. That's the biggest difference. For the next six weeks, we're going to preach on the kingdom. No, we're always preaching on the kingdom. And now we're just understanding elements of, when we talk about faith, we understand faith, how it works in the kingdom. We talk about healing. Healing is the healthcare system of the kingdom. Talk about finances. It's the economic system of the kingdom. Talk about love. Talk about the Holy Spirit. I mean, it doesn't matter what you talk about. There is a kingdom. Kingdom is not a subject viewed with the lens. Kingdom is the lens that you view all subjects. Pastor Earl wrote a book on just the introductory and the uh, uh, you know, essential elements of the kingdom, and he called it the forest. Why? Because we make the statement, we miss the forest for the trees. And so we're hugging trees. Here's the healing tree and the love tree and the Holy Spirit tree. If you'd zoom out, you'd find out all those trees are in a forest called the kingdom of God, and Jesus was obsessed with it, and I think we should be too. And there's times where we'll visit in, in this vein 
It's always my endeavor in, in, in every topic, every subject we look at, it's got to be looked at through the lens of the kingdom. How does the kingdom of God operate? We're going to break it down because where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. We'll abuse it. Eventually it will fail us. We abandon. I'll tell you right now, I have found even in my own study, my own life, the kingdom makes everything make sense. You will understand. Anybody have trouble reading through Leviticus when we get to that book? Yeah, a little difficult. Not if you understand the kingdom. It all makes it all makes sense when you understand there's a kingdom with the king. And within that kingdom are servants, and within that kingdom are citizens, and within that kingdom are privileges. It's a kingdom. It's a government. God's hope for the world is government. <laughs> I better stop. Y'all are like, okay, Pastor Mark, you are losing it. You'll see. Father, we thank you that it is your government. It's your government system that rules this earth, it sustains this earth, it occupies this earth, Father, and we thank you. It's not in a seen capacity, it's in an unseen capacity. Help our ability by the Holy Spirit, assist us to see those things that cannot be seen by the natural. Assist us in seeing beyond what is tangible and can be encountered with our physical senses. Father, we want to know and see and understand those things that are in the unseen realm. We do not look at the things which are seen. We look at the things which are unseen. Father, I thank you that you'll open our eyes in ways we've never been illuminated, that you'll open our hearts to receive a word that may even at times sound offensive, may even at times sound challenging, may question. But Father, I thank you it will bring answers because it is, it is your kingdom that rules and reigns. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.